I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Tara Travis is an actor, voice actor, and puppeteer known for her physical theater work. Christine Leziak is a theater artist, teacher, and director. They joined me to talk about The Spinsters, in which they play Cinderella's stepsisters, which you can see November 16th to 18th at the Shadbolt Center in Burnaby, B.C., and from January 16th to 27th at Edmonton's Westbury Theatre. In this conversation, we talk about the origin of the play, how the two of them first came together as artists, and much more. One quick note, in various points in the conversation, there's some distortion in Christine's microphone. I've done my best to clean it up, but you may still hear it. Here's our conversation. Christine, Tara, thank you for joining me. Um, just to just to jump in, uh, which one of you would like to tell me about The Spinsters? The Spinsters is a dark comedy. Uh, Tara and I play Cinderella's ugly stepsisters, and you meet us in their middle age, and they are hosting a ball. So this time, it's their rules. <laughs> so where where did this come from? Where did the, the idea for this come from? Christine and I are both tall ladies who specialize in comedy. Her more in clown, me more in like multiple character shape-shifting um, theater, but with very complementary skill sets, both very much love each other, chosen sisters, separated by provinces. We've always wanted to work together on something, but how? Um, and uh, there was one time I was visiting the uh, the Edmonton Fringe in 2017, and Christine and I were walking along just tall and, you know, gorgeous as we are. And uh, <laughs> let's let's speak with confidence, shall we? Um, and uh, Christine's partner, Ian, was was walking behind us. And he's a mechanical engineer who has this wild inventive mind and he loves building stuff for, for theater. And uh, and he saw us walking together and said, I love this image. I want to see this on stage. I want to see the two of you gliding around in epic dresses. Also, I could build them for you. And we said, yes, that sounds excellent. We love that. We are deeply on board with that. But 
What's the show? What's the story? What's the story? I mean, an, a beautiful image is one thing, but at the end of the day, if we're going to create a piece of theater, we need to know what the story is. So fast forward three years, fall of 2020, that year, uh, we were in a cabin together um, as couples, Tara and her husband and Ian and I, uh, very safely COVID safe and doing a whole bunch of nature walks. And it came to us after some conversations about our teenagehood and our awkwardness. And uh, we'll say more about that in a second. But it came to us, uh, we are the ugly stepsisters. That's who we identified more with than with Cinderella. And that raised a whole bunch of interesting questions about, well, you know, who are they? Where what would they be in as middle-aged ladies? Yeah. What happened to them? You know? <laughs> yeah. What was their real deal? I mean, very few people are actually, there's, there's no, there are very few like actual evil people. Everybody has a backstory mm-hmm. and they've gotten a short, they've gotten the ugly stepsisters have gotten a, a, a bad rap. Yeah. Yeah. Been- painted through one specific lens right yeah and um we want to give them a little more opportunity a little more stage time if you will (laughs) now the 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 the, you mentioned the dresses and the gliding and that sort of thing um there i have seen video of the two of you walking uh in these dresses they do glide uh they are epic um Uh but they're also very striking because I, do they they have like wheels on them just to keep the is the do they have wheels is that what's happening there because it's pretty spectacular that's an excellent question <laughs> <laughs> there is some there is some mechanical magic happening underneath there yeah yeah proprietary mechanical magic oh of course of course blank, blank, smile <laughs> yes. smile but it does create an otherworldly effect in a movement repertoire unlike anything else that i've ever seen um which makes it very interesting they are very striking and also the video you've seen to date those were prototypes right those are not finished gowns and we've been getting pictures of the gowns as they're getting closer and closer to being finished and each one of them is like a mobile set in and of itself they are phenomenal wow Wow. as you were saying that christine i had full body goosebumps just run over me like they are magnificent i'm not sick of looking at them yet (laughs) so at some point you know you go from this idea that that ian had of the the gliding dresses to like each of the dresses being like a full set of its own. What is the road to those costumes as they are? How did the costumes develop with the characters? Well, one of the first people that we brought onto the team creatively, aside from the the three of us, um, Christine and Ian and I, um, was my dear friend, Adam Dixon, who we we met in theater school. And uh, he went into sort of the high fashion world. And so he's been working in the fashion industry, but he very kindly has been designing theater pieces for me over the years. And it's kind of, it's, it's very much his passion. And so we brought him into the conversation. He was immediately electrified by the challenge. And, uh, and so we just had all these discussions about what we wanted them to do and how they were going to operate. And we've just been these 
significant jam sessions. We've got all of these different drawings throughout the years, all our different uh, pitches. It's so cool to see the evolution of the of the idea. Um, and oh golly, has it evolved? There, there are nine sewers on his team right now. Oh, oh. like yeah, he's a custom dye person. Yeah, wow, <laughs> it's wow. nuts. It's nuts. Now, this is, we talked about the dresses and we talked about the initial idea. Uh, how did the story develop over time? You start with the idea over about the 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 stepsisters, Cinderella's ugly stepsisters, and it has to that you have to turn that into a story. So, what what was the writing process like on creating a show like this? That's been really challenging for us because we are both physical creators. We're used to getting into a studio and writing on our feet. Out of, we are in different provinces. Uh, Tara's in Vancouver. Uh, I am in Edmonton and Alberta. And um, so we we have traveled to be in studio together. And I would say the first thing we did was test out a prototype of these magical dresses in order to see whether they would actually even work. So Ian built us those, and we got in a studio together in 2021, I think it was, summer of 2021, and we saw what kind of images could we make, what very much a digging into a devised image-based theater process. And once we saw the images we could make and we discovered some really fun shadow play the story kind of evolved from there. So it's been a very interesting process where the design and the imagery and the story have been cross-pollinating each other the entire journey, which has been really fun for um, us from a design perspective and, frankly, the way I love to work, where it's an iterative process where everything evolves with each other as we go. But I would say, Tara and I, we had some challenges actually writing the text, would you oh, say? Absolutely. Absolutely. Again, because we are such um, like iterative character based on our feet in the room creators, staring at each other over Zoom and smashing keys was just... It was kind of agony at times. And, and we just found that there was so much benefit in getting in the same room together and just getting into character or, you know, getting into the, the mask as much as we could and just letting the characters tell us what it needed to be. That's, that's when we had our most fruitful creation times. But, you know, we also smashed a lot of keys and, and figured out a lot of logic things that way too. It was just, we definitely prefer being together. <laughs> which which came first, uh, the smashing of the keys or the uh, in the room? Do you work in the room together and then refine with the keys, or do you smash things out on the keyboard and then like take those into the room and fix them? It definitely started pre-story to a degree. We had sort of a very general idea of where we wanted to start and end uh, with the storyline, but um, ultimately. It was, yeah, but I, I feel like it was like physical experimentation, then laying things down back and forth and back and forth um, with some help along the way. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that we had a really challenging time nailing our given circumstances because it's a bit of a fragile world they're playing in. And we play with different realities, I would suggest, with this world that they are living in. And that was the hardest thing. Um, and then I would also say we had to 
get brave about being willing to write for each other's characters. Because I think we were both very precious and cautious at first, but while I don't want to put any words in Tara's character's mouth, and I think Tara felt the same way, but once we freed ourselves to say, I'm just going to throw some stuff on a page and you're going to tweak it. And then I would say our juices really got cooking and we had a lot more fun, I think, individually and together as writers. Mm -hmm. Once we stopped being so careful and polite stop being so canadian yeah so canadian is there how is there a way that you you managed to get past that that sort of like not wanting to step on each other's toes or did you just like one day say we can't get anything done if we don't do this i I think a looming deadline the terror of a looming deadline so what you said as well as that it's like we have a workshop presentation to happen we need we need words that are coherent. So we're just going to have to slam something out. Yeah. And the the most or the most recent revision uh past our or j- just after our um our workshop performances in April. Uh we we came with so many takeaways from that after talking to the audience and all of that kind of stuff. We knew exactly what we needed to do, but it was surgery, you know, and it was kind of particular and it required some bold offers and chopping and reshaping. And so I I just kind of went, okay, Christine, I'm just going to go to it. And I made a copy of it and I called it the Franken draft, I think. And I just like went to town on it, knowing that the original was preserved. And, uh, and then we ended up passing that back and forth. And that worked really well because we just made our bold, audacious offers. And that's where a lot of the magic really happened. And then, you know, once we got our characters in on it, then they you know, made the jokes funnier and stuff. A workshop performance can be a very uh, a fraught thing. Um, you, the audience will will tell you one thing in its reactions, and sometimes at, at the talkback, something completely different, which can confuse things. Um, years ago, uh, uh, when I when we started, I started working with Keystone Theater, and we were doing our plays in the style of silent film for a full length show. We did a workshop of our initial thing, and we learned a lot in the in, in our, at our workshop uh both from the performance and we also learned a lot from the 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 talk back but we very carefully controlled the questions that we were asking and still got a lot of not a question just a comment you know a lot of those sorts of things that aren't always helpful um where did you learn the most uh from your workshop audience from in performance or from the talk back that's an excellent question. I know we were very mindful about the questions we wanted to ask as well. We wanted to really contain the conversation. Um, Christina, do you have thoughts on that? Well, I would say that I feel like we learned different things. Um, I feel like we learned about what parts of the show dragged and what was working comedically. Um, we, and we could just feel that as performers on stage. But the really valuable information from my perspective, I think we got is where the audience was confused and where we there were holes we needed to fill in for them. And that, I think, was really valuable afterwards. So both were super valuable as far as I'm concerned. Tara? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's so much that your audience teaches you just by how they're receiving it in the moment, right? It was just, you know, there were moments that hit where that, oh, I didn't know that would be perceived as funny here or 
um, or this this piece really drags. We need some music here, or, or I realize we're kind of saying that twice. You know, all those kinds of things where once once you've got witness, suddenly you see it in a whole new way. A lot of the time that you've that, that you you know the the work that I'm aware of that you that you've done is largely on a fringe festival sized stage. Um, this is something bigger. Like this is now uh, 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 like. I don't even want to say theater scale because Fringe is still theater, but like large scale that you couldn't do at a Fringe festival. So this is like, like I don't know, big time stuff. This is this is that kind of thing. Specs it more a little more spectacular than you can fit into Fringe. What is it like for you to to go into that space to 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 leave that Fringe space and go into this this larger this larger space? Great question. Do you want to go, Tara? <laughs> Uh, sure. Um, I mean, for the majority of my um, creation career, I have largely started with my work on the French circuit, um, workshopping it and taking it to a professional level and then, you know, showcasing it and going for um, presentations and that kind of thing. I've had um, some experience with um, with getting funding and hiring a team to build our uh, kids' shows with Monster Theater, as well as a, a professional remount of Who Killed Gertrude Crump, which was a uh, a murder mystery puppet show I did with Monster many years ago, and uh, and so I, I have I've had some experience with with like a larger stage, larger team, bigger goal, uh, but. This is by far and large the most epic and involved and spectacular work of theater I've ever been um, a part of creating. And it's equal parts terrifying and thrilling. Christine? Yeah, I would say the big difference is you can think about scale differently. All of a sudden, we're not limited to the 15-minute load-in and strike. So we can have bigger effects. We can have hangs that stay there. We can have um, <laughs> more than four hours of tech time. We just The ability to create spectacle is just a totally different scale. Um, and as well, we've been really fortunate in that we've had partners along the way and therefore been able to get funding, knowing that we have partners who are willing to present us. I, I think that that is really critical, I suspect. Um, the Shadowbolt, um Center for the Arts in Burnaby, to the city of Burnaby, and then Fringe Theatre have offered us both guarantees and, full, and, and runs. And that has enabled us to go after funding and be able to hire the team of professionals that we really need to hire as if we were a season show with an own, our own space, but we're not. It's like a scrappy little indie situation that just happens to have an idea that people have gotten really excited about. It, it is it is incredible when when something catches on and people you know you can sort of feel excitement and also you you've got some really strong images on the on the website for for this show. Um, just looking at the at the images you have, it, you you just immediately say, "I want to see what these people have to say." So mm -hmm. it's a great it's a great place to start. Um, now you started with 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 these 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 incredible dresses as an idea. Um, the characters themselves evolve in some way. Um, how do you go? How what was the process of finding who each of these sisters was and what made them different from each other? 
We did a mask process. We did. A full-on pachinko-esque Ma- character mass creation process. So we did this over Zoom during the pandemic. It was one of the first things we did, actually, um, because both of us write from the character voice. That's just how we always have been. And through that, we learned a lot about the backstory and the relationship. Because uh, I think, as you may know, when you start working with a, another person for the first time, you kind of don't know who's going to be the high status and who's going to be the low status. And uh, a mask very quickly tells you <laughs> who that's going to be. Yes. You have been assigned. Yeah. Did, uh, I mean, in terms of like figuring out who that was, did, did you like go, did you start and it immediately became uh, apparent who was high status, who was low status? Or did you have to go back and forth on that? Or sometimes these things just sort of fall into place immediately. I'd say it fell into place pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty quick. I think we already had a feeling of where it was going to go, but um, I think that mask process absolutely informed it in a um, with much greater nuance and sort of uh, it really informed their emotional world, both shared and individual. It, it was really something to build on, even though it was something so early in the process. And has the, has the relationship stayed much the same through uh, through the early stages into into now, or have there been new negotiations between the two? It's definitely expanded and contracted a little bit. Um, like for for a while, my character was like very sort of disempowered or playing dumb or dumbing down, and they're 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 I wouldn't say matching, but they're definitely sort of a sharing command of the evening a little more than than in early iterations. What do you think, Christine? For yeah, my perspective. For sure. Yeah, I would say that's definitely true. Um yeah, it's it's definitely a big sister little sister dynamic that they have going. And I think that where it evolved to is very much more I think reflects a little more accurately. I don't actually have a sister, but I know a lot of being sister, little sister combos in my life. Tara has several sisters. <laughs> and it feels very truthful that way. Yeah. It really does. And something and I would Tara, are you the are you the oldest sister? Are you the or where do you fall in the in the, the scale of sisterhood? In, in my real life situation, I'm the middle yes. child. Uh <laughs> I'll make people pay attention to me for a living. It's really shocking. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tara, I have not had the opportunity to to speak to you on the show before. Christine was on just a couple months ago. Um, but I one of the questions that I'm always curious about with people is how they got into this thing called theater. So for you, what was what was what was your gateway? What's your origin story? How did you get into the theater? Yeah. Well, from a very young age, actually, I was a performer um, before I had even seen a theater show. I was pushing my sisters around. We were putting on plays in the backyard and it was like very much one of those kinds of stories. We we were in love with the um, Shelley Duvall fairy tale theater series. If you're familiar, we would rent those on beta and those were like highly theatrical um, Right. They were like uh, often on these kind of like cheap sets, but with these remarkable world class performers just having the time of their life, you know, and so we would sort of do our version of that. And uh, 
but I still didn't quite understand what theater was, you know, and uh, and I so I tried to go into ballet. So I knew, oh, yeah, ballerina, that's the thing on stage. And I was, you know, I was the awkward kid in her bathing suit because she forgot her leotard. It just it wasn't a good scene. And then uh, after a few years of, you know, flapping through that, um, I had taller than all the other kids um, with my like, you know, messy, crooked hair. Uh, my my mom said, oh, I think what you want is theater. And I said, oh, okay. And I can't thank her enough for hunting down the Maple Ridge community players and uh, getting me into one of their classes because it just kind of opened up from there. I started doing shows and haven't looked back. And how did you how did you find your way to the fringe circuit? Yeah, the fringe. Well, I started volunteering for the fringe when I was in high school, so in the 90s. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, that looks like fun. Um, I'm not afraid to let you know my age, everyone. Um, so I and I thought that looks like fun. That looks like a cool thing to do. And uh, and so once I sort of finished my theater training later on, um, you know, I'd done a couple of shows here and there, but just, you know, that early career, you know, trying to find your feet thing. I, um, I was working in puppetry because that's just sort of a thing that caught on. And there ended up being a collective of us that that wanted to create shows. And I said, oh, I know, I know where we can do it. So I'm uh, starting again yeah, in the early 2000s, had a couple of different collectives, did the Vancouver Fringe for many, many years. And uh, and then one year, uh, 2007, the lovely Mr. Ryan Gladstone of Monster Theater approached me after um, a solo puppet show of mine and said, hey, I just moved to town and I'm looking for someone to make weird theater with. You want to hang out and we wrote a kids show in three days and i became part of monster theater and then immediately started uh touring the fringe circuit with monster as well so i think my first um like significant tour beyond um doing my own home fringe was in 2008 and uh yeah fringe has been a huge part of my development as an artist yeah yeah and christine you have been a fringe performer all across canada uh for quite some time um when did you, I mean, I think we've talked about it before, but like your first entry into, into the fringe world, what was, what was that? Uh, 2008 was my first entry into the fringe at the Edmonton fringe was my very first clown show with my uh, performing partner at the time, Adam Keefe. And uh, we went on and Adam and I created three more clown shows together. I believe that's where we met actually, because you were doing, um, is touring as well. On Earth. Yeah. You were. Yeah. yeah. I think we had a mutual appreciation society happening there for a while. <laughs> we did indeed, uh, and uh, so from there, you you've created other shows with other like you did you've done the uh, the science show that you've been mm-hmm. around. Yeah. Um, what does fringe uh, mean to you as a as a performer as a touring artist? Fringe is a place where I can take a real risk. I can take a weird idea, put it on its feet, and if it flops, it's not going to break the bank. And also, audiences are there for the weird idea. You're going to find out pretty quickly whether or not the thing works and whether or not you're going to shelve it or whether it's, oh, this thing has legs. I have, um, it's been integral to me and my development as a performer, I would say, and I think Tara and I have had this discussion as well, that as, you know, women who do not necessarily fit the ingenue type, it's difficult to get cast in things by other people sometimes, um, especially as you get older. So it it literally is why I was able to 
create work and be on stage and and cut my teeth at all, really. Hmm. Now, Tara, I would I would I would uh, uh, be remiss if I did not uh, have bring up. I have to bring up the the six of it all because. Um, you on the, uh, uh, I became aware of you in 2012, uh, when I was on the fridge circuit and I've seen, uh, saw your show and when it, you came to Toronto with it of your show till death, uh, where you played all of the wives of, uh, uh, Henry the eighth, um, which, uh, 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 sort of is a story that has become sort of, uh, even, even bigger now because there's a, a, a big musical that sort of started going. Yes, there um, is. As somebody who initially you were touring this show and 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 sort of like doing the 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 wives of of Henry the Eighth, um, how has how has the existence of that musical sort of affected your relationship to that material? Oh, that's a really great question. Well, actually, I had not seen it until just recently. I was in Edmonton in uh, in August visiting with Christine and and doing some in-person key smashing. And she treated me to a performance of six. So your question is very timely. Um, and we saw it at the Citadel and it was great. And uh, I like, I feel like it's, I'm, I'm just grateful that there's um, even, even more um, amplification of their stories in the world um, in an accessible way. You know, they, they do it very differently and sort of with a different spin on the characters and you know i have my own relationship to them and um i think i think the more the merrier you know i i think that's i think it's really excellent to see um to see their stories being told and to see them being empowered and you know singing some really kick-ass songs along <laughs> the way uh it's yeah it's a it's a different approach and it's like a lot of fun yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to say that, 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 um, the year that I saw, uh, your performance in that show was one of the, my favorite things I'd seen, uh, that year at the, oh, well. at the Toronto Fringe. So, um, thank you. That means I, a lot. I hope the show is not gone for good. Um, I hope that I'm sure that you've performed it enough that maybe you're tired of it, but I, I personally <laughs> hope that you, you do it again sometime. I'm still physically capable, so I will remount it from time to time as long as the old body can uh, can hack it. Yeah, for sure. Um, Christine, uh, you have a, a, a project that, that you're currently working on, which is called the Lost Sock Rescue Society. Um, <laughs> yes. Could you tell me a little bit about that project? So this is... Uh... Very different from anything else I've ever done. I also have a real interest in immersive and interactive experiences. And um, in, well, last year, in 2022, I did a, an experience design certificate program through Odyssey Works, which is an outfit out of um, New York and Baltimore area. And this was my final project. So if you go to sockrescue.ca, you too can adopt a lost and recovered sock. I was really um, inspired by, um, it, it sort of follows the animal adoption model, I would say roughly, but it really interrogates um, our, our culture of waste and our culture uh, bias against wearing unmatched socks, weirdly. So there's a lot of um, depth to the whimsy of it all, I would say. And it is going to be happening 
this March in Edmonton as a part of the Skirts of Fire Festival. We're going to have the society's going to have a booth up and available for people to come and um, find mates for their their single socks or just adopt a, maybe a bonded pair. <laughs> I highly recommend the process. Char- like Carl has changed our lives. Mm, so yes. Since we adopted yes. Him. Tara adopted Carl last year. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. It's very silly, but also very profound. Um, I would interview everybody who adopts to make sure it would be the sock is going to be a good fit for their home because some socks are very fragile and need certain care, you know. And we also do education around um, proper care of socks and laundrying because, you know, the laundromat is really the most dangerous place for a sock. <laughs> that is a fact. I mean, just just laundry in general is a dangerous place for a sock. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's so yeah. true. It's so true. But it's really brilliant. Do check out that work if you can. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. Uh, yeah. Looking at that, well, looking at anything you do, Christine, I'm just like, oh. I can't believe I get to work with you. Well, she's a freaking Well, genius. Well, anyway, likewise. <laughs> Ms. Tara Travis. Nice. Absolutely. Um. Now, one of the things that I mean, you are both. I would. I, you've you've done uh, enough fringe festivals that you could be called fringe veterans. Um, and uh, there's always, you know, new people who come onto the fringe circuit. Sometimes they're in their home cities, and sometimes they are launching into their first tour. Um, do you have opportunity, or have you taken the opportunity in the, in the past to see somebody who's kind of a, obviously on their first tour and struggling that maybe needs some advice? Because uh, mentorship, I I don't. I don't think that, that enough uh, there's enough mentorship in Fringe. There's certainly not often a structure for it. So, do you have you taken younger artists under your wings in the past? And uh, what was that process like? That's a great question. Um, um, I know I know Christine certainly has an answer for it. And uh, when I was touring regularly, yeah, I, I kind of ended up feeling like like mother of hen in a way. That was sort of my. Um, my role within the community because it is very much a community, especially with the with the touring folk because you you bond you know moving from town to town together, um, and so yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty easy to to find the folks who are struggling to find their feet and um, you know often I, th- I think it just sort of became a thing where it's like oh well, go talk to Tara you know, or go you know that there are, I mean there are a number of us who have certainly shared anything that we uh, that we have to offer that might be helpful I think. That's one of the beautiful things about the French community is that there isn't that competition. There isn't that, but if I give you all my trade secrets, then no one will come see my show. It's no, the, the more we all succeed, the more fringe there is for everyone, the, you know, the greater it is. So let's, let's help each other out. So, um, specifically, um, I, I feel like it's been, it's been a little more casual, like through conversations and that kind of thing, not necessarily one like ongoing. Uh, mentorship, but it definitely, it's really exciting to see artists, especially on their first tour. And then, uh, and then, you know, just, just to see their, their growth and um, elevation from, yeah, from their, from their first go to their next. How about you, Christine? Yeah, I, I love talking to new fringe artists and um, answering questions. I'd say mostly it's been more informal. 
Um, I started to direct fringe shows a little bit more. And I would say as part of that often is a bit of a mentorship process. Like what is a good fringe poster, which is different from a normal season poster, you know, all of these sorts of things. Like, should I, do I need to get out there and meet people on the ground? Like, yes, yes, you do. You know, all of these sorts of questions. Um, very recently and very um exciting exciting for me is I am also the director of the Play the Fool Festival, which is a festival of clown and physical theater in Edmonton. And um, um, as part of that, I have been mentoring, I have a mentorship program called the Rookie Cabaret. So a, a handful of artists will work with me over a series of weeks to create. Often it's their first turn or maybe they're experimenting with a new form or, you know, whatever. But they're, they're somebody who needs a little bit more support to create a um, a piece. And the show's always killer. Honestly, it always slays at the festival. And this year they've decided to get together and actually apply and try to do the that show as a fringe show for next year in Edmonton. And I'm very excited. I'm really hoping they get in, in which case I will continue to mentor them through that. Because you know, the directorial piece of it's fallen back a little bit because the show's been built. But um you know, there's all the little intricacies of, again, what does a good poster look like? What should my tech form look like? Do I need a stage manager? Is this too complicated for sound? Like uh, Lots of these little things that it's really helpful to have a, a veteran, as you say, weigh in on and, and help with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Terry, you mentioned the the competition aspect. And I think I've noticed just generally that that I tend to see people think, see fringe and audience and, and that sort of thing as a competition when they are younger, when it's sort mm. of like they're early in their their career, that sort of goes by the wayside really quickly if you do a fringe tour, because suddenly you see um, you're up now, I'm down, I'm up, you're down. Like it's all like it's the, the community sort of like needs it. You need each other to survive, which is, a, is an amazing thing to see somebody have that click for somebody and they realize, oh, wait, no. It is true. There is audience enough for everyone. Absolutely, there is. And yeah, and lifting each other up only, I don't know, it only makes things, yeah, it makes things better for everyone, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I Tara, I, I have it on good authority that you were in a film with uh, Priyanka, the drag queen. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I was. Tell me, tell me about that. Wait, what? What's that film? Oh my and gosh! Oh my gosh! It's so fun. It it actually just came out finally on um, on Out TV specifically. I don't. I know they were looking at possibly other distributors for the future, but at the moment it's on Out TV, and it's very much um, sort of a, a. The script is very much a, a love letter to the um, like the Hallmark or Lifetime movie format um but the lead is just happens to be played by a drag artist you know and uh, and the world very much reflects that but it like being in vancouver where a lot of hallmark you know is shot i've you know i'm like i've auditioned for the the generic version of this you know uh, if you will um and it's, so it's it's just like amped up it's it's just ridiculous and a good time and uh so yeah i had the pleasure of sharing the screen with her i played her uh stepmother barbara and uh it was a very very fun role it was one of those that just she just came off the page she was just this 
um, <laughs> a drunken narcissist. And uh, I, I just really enjoy playing like harsh, judgmental, self-involved people um, because it's a very different exploration, you know, compared to my usual way of navigating the world, at least I hope. Why is it that the worst people are the most fun to play? Oh, yeah, I know. I love playing <laughs> jerks. I think it's really fun. Yeah, I like I, I think that's something that we're having fun with in this show, too. Like we when we can get a little nasty, it's like, whoa, that's kind of fun. Now, Christine, from a clown background, um, do the do the how does clown inform the spinsters? Oh, I mean, I would say they're kind of pure clown. They're more in the world of neo buffal I would say, um, which is they they have more experience. They're more knowing. They're more uh, arch. They're very arch. They're very actually drag inspired. Actually, these characters is is what we put on our on our grant application forms uh, and the aesthetic is very much drag inspired as well it's all extremely heightened um so it, it comes from there but i would say more than anything it's in the spirit of play as tara and i have been running lines um already even though we're just in the process of getting off book we're still we're having to reel ourselves back in it's like okay don't no no improv yet no improv yet we need to know the lines we wrote first before we go off track but it's really hard because we both have these really strong impulses to play constantly uh and i think that's what's going to be extremely magical for us especially as a duo because we have so much fun playing with each other yeah, I think I think that's obvious. Just just watching the way that you you interact and just here, um, in, in terms of you know the the improv aspect, um, how far do you feel like you can go with this? Like, how do you? First off, I mean, you could go, you can start into 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 improv. How do you bring yourself back to the script as it's supposed to be once you start to deviate? Uh, how do you do? You just like use each other as a lifeline. How does that? How does that work? That's a really good question. I feel like the way that we've set it up, hopefully we've got sort of areas where there's forgiveness with a bit of play and looseness. And then there are times where it is, uh, it's a tight ship that must sail. Um, so I, I think we've, we've built it in knowing that it was going to happen, knowing it was going to expand, knowing it was going to get a little, uh, loose and, uh, off the rails once in a while, but with, yeah, with clear reentry points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the thing is knowing the script well enough that you've got the clear reentry point. And in any clown show I've ever done, if something happens, you have to deal with the thing. So you just need to know the script well enough <laughs> so that when it's time to get back on the ship, you can, you can write it, you can find that, that point. But as Tara said, we tried to predict where those spots are most likely to be and give ourselves a couple of strategies to get back on track. Yeah. And the other advantage to fringe is that you're not like, if you go over by a couple of minutes, nobody's going to turn the lights out on you. Oh yeah. This is so great to not have to be worried about <laughs> running one minute long. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's uh, it's a gift because we don't actually really know how sh long the show's going to run. We think it's going to be 70 Maybe 75 or really, we'll, we'll find, we're going to find out in about three weeks. <laughs> yes, we will. Oh, golly. She keeps expanding. She keeps expanding. There's just so much fun to be found. 
Well, as as it is with any clown show, right? Like you start off with a 50-minute show. I will tell people who are building their first clown show, build it for like 45 to 48. And by the end of the run, you'll probably be at 55 if you're really clowning. So, you, you know, we don't, we honestly don't know. But a lot of it is extremely tight and choreographed. It's actually an extremely technical show with the puppetry elements and some of the movement elements as well. So it's, I would say it's also probably the most technically challenging show I've ever been co-creator of as well, or maybe even done at all, frankly. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like physically and actually with our design team and all of the different elements that all, they all, all departments must speak to each other because everything and every piece informs every other piece. Like it just, it has to be a collective creation. Um, it's just, yeah, it's pretty epic <laughs> visually and experientially. I can't wait to hear how it goes, to be honest with you. I can't wait to, and I hope it, I hope it meant you managed to tour with it so that I could see it out here in Toronto. Well, we've applied to summer work, so Hi. call your summer works friends. Please. <laughs> I don't have any influence on those sorts of things, but I'll I'll sort of like send something off into the the summer works gods uh, so that they can they can do something so we can see this. Um, Christine, Tara, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited about this show. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Been an absolute pleasure. And I think I forgot to say that that movie is called "It's All Sunshine and Rainbows." The movie with ah, Priyanka. Yes, thank you. And also, she was a treat to work with. She's a rough <laughs> pro. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.